0: Welcome to the Heart Failure Insights podcast. In this podcast, we hope to explore the latest treatment and management options for heart failure patients. Whether you're a healthcare professional, patient, carer or family member looking to learn more, Dr. Julianne Locke, our host, will be interviewing some of the leading cardiology experts across the globe to help us uncomplicate the subject. Arrowin Cardiology presents the Heart Failure Insights Podcast. This episode is not intended for US and UK based healthcare professionals. Welcome to this Heart Failure Insights Podcast. My name is Dr. Julianne Locke and in this series we will explore the latest treatment and management options for heart failure patients with preserved or reduced ejection fraction. From discussing the epidemiology of the disease to the management of patients with comorbidities, this podcast will arm you with the information you need to improve your clinical decision making and provide your patients with more treatment options. Previously in this series we have expanded on the benefits of empagliflozin to heart failure patients with preserved or reduced ejection fraction from the EMPEROR-PRESERVED and EMPEROR-REDUCED trials as well as the Mpulse trial evaluating the clinical benefit of empagliflozin in patients who were stabilized after hospitalization for acute heart failure. In this episode, we will explore some real world examples of the use of empagliflozin. Today, I am joined by Professor Michael Boehm. He is the director of the Clinic for Internal Medicine 3 and chief of cardiology at the University of Saarland in Germany. He has a special interest in pathophysiology and treatment of heart failure and has been the principal investigator of several multicenter clinical trials. He has written more than 700 original papers, book chapters and review articles and is a past president of the german society of cardiology professor bohem welcome to the podcast
1: hello nice to see you
0: so in the eu empactiflosan was recently approved for use in heart failure patients prior to this what were your treatment options for chronic heart failure
1: So we had treatment options like the neuroendocrine antagonist, which was, of course, ACE inhibitors or ARNI, latestly, then we have, of course, diuretics for acute decompensation in volume overloaded patients. And another foundational therapies are, of course, mineralocorticoid antagonists, and also beta blockers to reduce heart rate mainly. So these were our mainstays. And now we have another option.
0: And I suppose with your previous options that were available to you, was there anything kind of limiting with those that you were hoping empagliflozin would maybe fill the gap on around maybe uh, treatment regime, uh, around benefits? Was there anything that you felt was lacking in previous treatment options?
1: So what we have seen that, of course, many patients did not take the drugs or do not tolerate the drugs because uh, people have low blood pressure, people might have impaired kidney failure or impaired kidney function. And now with the new options, we have shown from the trials, from EMPA trials, and also from the dapagliflozin trials, that there is a very easy handling of the drugs, which are one step up titration. So it's not an up titration, it's just giving one drug. We have also seen that they preserve kidney function, uh, which was not so clear in the drug treatments before. And we have also seen Uh, that there are almost no effect on blood pressure. So that makes it very easy to handle. And you have seen the outcome data. It provides an add-on benefit for patients concerning morbidity and mortality. So therefore, we have now a better spectrum than before.
0: And I suppose now that you have empagliflozin in your armamentarium for heart failure patients, at which point are you deciding that it might be suitable for patients and what are the conversations that you're having with your patients about empagliflozin and deciding to prescribe?
1: So first of all this is a drug class uh, which is needed by every patient who has not a contraindication and there are only very few contraindications. Um, and in this case, uh, we give it to everyone. And this is also in accordance with the guidelines where we now have stated and given the recommendations to start with four drugs, including an SGLT2 inhibitor, such as empagliflozin, to all patients. And that should be done very early, if possible, in the, comp- uh, in, in the hospital still, when the patient is recovering from an acute decompensation. So therefore, it is almost there in every patient. There is not much space for decisions not to do it yeah, rather than to do it.
0: And I suppose having it as that automatic drug of, you know, that it goes on to everybody must make life a, a little bit easier, I suppose, for clinicians in the fact that, it, as you were saying, it rules out decision making and it's just a normal part of the treatment of patients. Um, And so with the patients that you are prescribing Empagliflozin to, what differences are they noticing and are you noticing in terms of their previous treatment regime, in terms of improvements in symptoms and quality of life? I suppose, how are they benefiting from it and maybe what are you seeing in terms of empowering the patients to manage their own situation?
1: So first of all, what the physicians see is that it's well-tolerated, that it is easy to handle, so it should be on board. And there are rather robust data that the patients feel better. There is an improvement in quality of life with a very well-validated uh, instrument, which is the Kansas City Cardiomopathy Questionnaire. There is also more people who are improving concerning the New York Heart Association class and less people deteriorating. You cannot predict it in the individual patient, but overall, uh, in the overall population, there is a clinical benefit which uh, relates to the patient-related outcomes, which is quality of life and not only an improvement of hospitalization rates uh, or mortality data.
0: And from your own patients, have you got any specific case studies or specific examples where you've really noticed a patient, I suppose, benefiting from...
1: And yeah, I, I'm sometimes surprised when the patient is showing up with some residual edema and when the patient already is on a loop diuretic and you add an SJT2 inhibitor, the volume loss, so therefore the reduction of shortness of breath is particularly important. So these kind of drugs are no, not a diuretic, but however, they can also reduce the fluid overload and together with diuretics, it makes a difference because this has been shown by one trial, even started in the hospital after decompensation, that the unloading of the ventricle and the volume unloading in these patients is accelerated. So this is my personal experience, which I think is very impressive.
0: And I suppose treatment of heart failure, I mean, it requires a holistic approach, really. It's not just about a drug management. What work do you do within your own clinic? And what does it involve for both patients and yourself, and how do patients benefit from it?
1: So The patients benefit from this holistic approach because one most important thing is to have a look at comorbidities. Every comorbidities have an add-on effect on the poor outcome in heart failure patients, and among them is, of course, chronic kidney disease, and this can be positively influenced by the SGLT2 inhibitor. There are also other patients who have COPD, peripheral artery disease, and that is unaffected by this uh, SGRT2 inhibitor, that means there are no adverse effects on pulmonary function. So the whole picture should be taken into consideration. And uh, it is also working from an EGFR down to 20. And many physicians, of course, get scared when the EGFR is, for instance, 40. But in particular, patients with a poor uh, uh, kidney function, they benefit absolutely the most. The relative benefit is always the same 20% but if the absolute risk is higher individually there is a greater effect um, an absolute greater effect on the number needed to treat uh, for preventing events so therefore this is the holistic approach so it perfectly fits into this multi-angle approach to heart failure treatment and within
0: your own clinic what sort of additional services then are provided as part of a holistic approach
1: uh, in my clinic, we, we, of course, have a look at at uh, the comorbidities. Iron is something which is very important. We have also psychologists here. So this is a little bit not the concise treatment, which should be optimal, of course. But uh, the patient care, the social isolation in the elderly people, social care is very important. So what we are building up here is a special heart failure clinic, which I think is something which is very important and of course it is present in many countries however it might not be accessible for every patient it depends on where you are in the cities it's easier when there is a big center there and i think we should roll it out um, also to the countryside and to areas where is less and poorer access to medical uh, facilities
0: and you talk there about the importance i suppose of psychological support and social support is that why I suppose with the impact of flows and research, were you feeling quite elated or joyful about the improvements that people were reporting in their quality of life outcomes? Are you hoping it's all part of a bigger package?
1: Yeah, we we talked about the improvement on quality of life and what is interesting when you look at these Kansas City cardiomyopathy questionnaire, which indeed addresses all domains of the daily life, including self-care, psychological uh, isolation, in addition to Uh, Symptom scores, and everything, and the benefit is taking place in every domain. So therefore, this is indeed something which is a very broad approach concerning this patient-related outcomes.
0: And are you feeling, I suppose, quite joyful going forward for your patients? Do you feel that we're starting to head in the right direction of being able to manage heart failure, both acute and chronic heart failure, in the long term?
1: So in the long term, I think it will be very important not only to have the drugs available. That's what we have and we are joyful about our drugs. So it is a complete different picture we have on heart failure now uh, compared to maybe 15, 20 years ago, which was a nightmare. And now the next challenges are implementation, implementation, teaching to bring it across to the medical public that this is a broad approach that every patient needs these kinds of drugs uh for fun, uh, foundational therapies in the very beginning starting in the hospital because they're very close to hospitalization there is the place where the greatest benefit is taking place
0: i think that's quite a positive note to end on the fact that you know you've got extra tools now in your toolbox compared to a decade ago compared to two decades ago and the fact that we know that there's medication available that when initiated from hospitalization really helps to improve patient outcomes with heart failure that's all we have time for in this episode but thank you so much professor boehm for this really fascinating discussion of I suppose not only the benefits that you're seeing with impactliflozin, but also the psychological benefits that can be given to patients within clinics to help improve their quality of life, which at the end of the day is what's really valuable to patients. Improving quality of life will empower them to mind their own health as well going forward and and live a day-to-day life like the rest of us, I suppose. That's all we have time for in this episode and indeed in this series of Heart Failure Insights where we have learned much about the benefits of empagliflozin to heart failure patients right across the ejection fraction spectrum. Thank you so much for listening, and I do hope you enjoyed this episode. For now, take care, stay safe, and goodbye. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast and look forward to seeing you next time. Don't forget to stay up to date with all the latest discussions and to help spread awareness. Follow and subscribe. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform and aroin-cardiology.com.